I'm guessing that I may be the first person today to wish you a happy Pentecost. Am I? Most of you? Happy Pentecost. I'm not even sure if it's happy Pentecost or merry Pentecost or good Pentecost or, or you know, great Pentecost. Or, I'm not even sure what it is because we in some of our Western, especially evangelical congregations who don't follow a liturgical calendar, who aren't in more, more formal or mainline denominations, kind of ignore this major event, this day in the church that other parts of Christian, other traditions hold in great esteem. In fact, it's the third major holiday. The first one, of course, being when Christ came. That would be Christmas. Then, of course, the second major holiday is those days would be Good Friday through Easter, the the Holy Week season, the time where we celebrate the death and resurrection of the Lord. And those are two incredibly important events. But this third event is just as important. It is just as critical and worthy of our celebration and worthy of our study and worthy of being looked at this morning. It is the day of Pentecost, the day the Holy Spirit was given. The Holy Spirit was poured out. It was a day, I would say, that changed the world. It's a day that changed the world, and sometimes we just kind of brush it aside. In fact, if you were, if you were living in France, Belgium, Germany today, do you know Whit Sunday, Pentecost Sunday, is a holiday? In fact, they have tomorrow off of work. Many countries in Europe still have this day as a holy day, a holiday, in which the whole nation shuts down. It's called Whit Sunday and Whit Monday. Whit because Whit for some white on, on Pentecost Sunday, everybody would come who was being baptized and they'd be in their white robes. And it'd be a great celebration and they'd celebrate and they'd take Monday off. First time I've ever wanted to live in France in my life. Just, you know, I, in fact, maybe I'll take tomorrow off, I think. But uh, we, we, there's a celebration and we kind of tend to push it aside. It's not that important. But Pentecost is a day where... We should celebrate. It's a day that changed the world. And I started thinking about this. And what does the world think about days that change the world? What is the significant days that we look at and say, yeah, that day changed the world? And I was reminded as I thought about that, that um, it was 2003, Time Magazine came out of publication with 80 days that changed the world. Now, as we tend to do in our Western civilization, especially in the United States, we're kind of self-centered a little bit, and we think the world revolves around us. So many of these, like, I love Lucy and Mickey Mouse. <laughs> I just, I fail to see a little bit how they changed the world. Elvis, maybe. But I looked at the list of 80 days that changed the world, and the first thing I was a little distressed at was they didn't even start until 1923. So I guess nothing happened in, in the mind of Time Magazine before 1923. But I picked out the 10 that interested me the most, and these are what, some of the things that the world looks at as things that change the world. The first one was May 21st, 1927. Charles Lindbergh, the spirit of St. Louis, the first transatlantic flight, he landed on May 21st. He had crossed the Atlantic, and of course, aviation was changed. After that, May, or De- December 7th, 1941, a day that will live in infamy. Pearl Harbor, the bombing in, 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 of, the, of the United States. And then, of course, there was April 15th, 1947, the day that Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier. I just love baseball, and I love going and seeing that movie, 42. I cried the whole way through it as, as, as Jackie Robinson endured and, and, and conquered and became the first African-American in baseball. That was followed up eight years later, December 1st, 1955, Rosa Parks, uh, a seamstress, refused to give up her seat and started off a, a boycott and the Supreme Court saying that segregation was illegal. 
followed, of course, by November 22nd, 1963. Maybe the first one that I remember, I don't remember the assassination, but I have some vague memories of, of the funeral and walking down and, and the family. President Kennedy assassinated. It didn't take us long to recover, though, because a day that changed the world, according to Time Magazine, only a few months later, February 9th, 1964, the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. <laughs> the Beatles on Ed Sullivan changed the world. It did for some. How about July 20th, 1969, a day that some of us remember very well. The first man to walk on the face of the moon. How about November 9th, and I think it says here 1985, but really it's 1989, the fall of the Berlin Wall. A little more fresh, something we remember. Or, of course, if it, this, this uh, survey was done, in, or re- article was done in 2003, would of course include September 11th, 2001. And if you Googled day that changed the world, this will come up many, many, many times. But I said there was top 10, that's only nine. The top by far. I think the day that changed the world in a way that I appreciate maybe more than any was September 20th, 1980. I wonder if anybody recognizes this picture. That is Ted Benna. He is the only tax accountant mentioned and the, <laughs> the people that changed the world. On September 20th, 1980, Ted Benna is sitting in his office, and he has been challenged by one of his clients, a bank, to come up with a way of redesigning their compensation plan to get a better break, but so the people can't get their money right away. And so he's sitting there thinking, he's wondering, and he starts flipping through the Internal Revenue Code, and he gets on a new section that had passed earlier in the year called 401k. And he's looking at it, and he says, you know, I think, I think we can defer Yes, people can defer tax, pre-tax money, but it looks to me like we can, we can match it. And if a company can match it, that means more people will give. And he came up with this great idea. And the bank rejected it because it had never been tried before. They did it with their own firm. And on September 20th, 1980, 401ks were born. Doesn't that excite you? <laughs> oh, it does me. But I wonder why. Sheila wonders why I have posters of Ted Benna all over my bedroom. (laughs) Uh, Days that changed the world. But you know, all of these days, many of them anyhow, need to be taken in some sort of context. The day doesn't mean a whole lot if you don't understand the context or the backstory behind it. In fact, if we look back at um, the Berlin Wall, and you don't understand the, the horror, uh, the oppression of communist oppression in Eastern Europe. If you don't understand the impact of the visit, nine-day visit of a pope to his homeland in Poland and how that changed the world, all that backstory means so much more. Walking on the moon is a big enough story in its own. But there's a backstory there too. Think of the guarantee and the promise that was made by that young president who had been murdered. Think about the, the, the space race that had taken place between the United States and the Soviet Union. There's a backstory. And you know there's a backstory. A bus and a baseball game, they don't mean a whole lot. But what's in is, when, it's, when it's within the context of slavery and segregation, 
It takes on a powerful meaning. And so this morning, as we look at this story of Pentecost, it's a story, but it needs to be taken in its context. We need to understand the backstory. And fortunately, we have a young man who has provided that to us. His name is Luke. Luke, the Bible tells us, if you read through and read through some of Paul's letters, Luke was a physician. He was, so he was educated. We think he was probably a Gentile. He was an historian because he cared about getting this exactly right. And he accompanied Paul on several of his missionary journeys from time to time. It's always good to have a doctor with you especially when you're going in dangerous territory. And so Luke wanted to make sure that this story was correct. He wanted to make sure that we had this story for historical purposes. And he wanted to make sure that this story would be a story that would be around to bless us 2,000 years later. And so we're going to look, first of all, at this context. And the first part of this context comes out of the book of Acts, chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We'll have that up on the screen. But Luke wrote Acts the fifth book of your New Testament, but he also wrote the book that we call Luke, which is the third book of the New Testament. And so we look up here, and and it's in verse one of Acts one. He says this, in my former book, Theophilus. So my former book, he's talking about Luke, the book of Luke that we refer to, that he wrote. And he says this, I wrote all about that Jesus began to do, to teach until the day he was taken up into heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and he spoke about the kingdom of God. In fact, uh, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But, but, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid them, hid him from their sight. Jesus said all of this. He had been with them for three years They'd walked with him for 40 days, as Luke says, giving many, many, many proofs that he was the risen Christ. And he's gone. Just like that. Boom, up, gone. Wow. What a life-changing, they've been through so many life-changing events over the last few weeks. And now all of a sudden, it's just like, he's here and he's gone. What now? And so he started, as Luke started doing here, so I needed to reflect. He's writing down, I needed to reflect on what Jesus said. And I remembered what he said. He said, go to Jerusalem and wait. Go and wait. I don't know about you, but when I've got something exciting to tell, or when I know there's a need for something to be shared, it is really tough for me to shut my mouth and to wait. 
put yourself in the place of these men and women who were listening to Jesus. They had been with him, that he had risen, he had spent 40 days with them, and he had told them all about the kingdom of God, and then miraculously, he just, whoop, up into heaven. And I know there are people that need to hear this. I know there are people who can be rescued. I know that I got family, and you know, some of them are in here in Jerusalem today, they might be gone in two days. They might be gone in three days. They might be gone in four days. I may never get a chance again. Doesn't it make sense that I should say, well, Jesus said wait, but in the meantime, I should go. In fact, if I think about it, didn't Jesus say, go and make disciples? So make up your mind, Jesus, is it go or is it stay? Go, stay. You know, what, what should I do? And, and I'm thinking, I wonder what's going through their hearts and their minds because sometimes it's so hard to stay. Sometimes it's so hard to say, God, do in me what you need to do before I go do it. God, work in my heart before I step out. And, and I, I wonder, I wonder what, what happened as they reflected. In fact, I'm thinking in my mind, if I'd be reflecting about this, okay, he said the way, stay and wait. He said, uh, let's see here, boom, 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 we'll receive something. Oh yeah, gift, um, the Holy Spirit. I wonder, what, I wonder what that's like. In fact, I'm gonna remember back to John 16, seven, because it said they remembered some of the things he talked about. And in John 16, seven, Jesus said this, but in fact, it is best, not, not better, not good, it's best for you if I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate or the counselor won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. Okay, he's gonna send him to me. He said in Acts 1.8, I will be filled with the spirit. I wonder what this is. I wonder how I'm gonna get it. Is it gonna come by UPS? Is it going to become, it's going to come by uh, Federal Express. What, what is this filled by a spirit? Is it something I drink? Is it the first energy drink? Is it Monster or Red Bull? Is that, is that what he's talking about? Give me energy? Give me power? What is it, God? I don't know what you're talking about. And these men, they, at this point, they didn't even understand anything. I mean, they understood some things, but the, the deeper things of what Christ is talking about. Because when he said, I'll explain all this to them, they said, oh, does this mean, uh, does this mean that your kingdom's coming and we're going to knock out Rome and, and we're going to be able to rule ourselves now? And he says, no, 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 you don't understand. That's, don't worry about those times. Don't worry about those dates. Just go and stay. Just go and stay. I was thinking about how important this is for the day that changed the world. What if they hadn't stayed? I'm thinking how it is when we don't obey God and God wants us to do something great in our life and he says go and stay or go and do and we do just the opposite. We're not in position to receive what God has for us. In fact, I wondered, compare this to another great command that God gave. Adam and Eve, don't eat. What if these disciples had caved in like Adam and Eve did? What if they waited two days or three days or four days or five days? And they left. And the Holy Spirit came and there was an empty building. What would we have today if they had not been obedient to the Lord? I don't know that I want to think about it. But I know it's tempting in my heart to be very disobedient in those times where I'm told to stay and wait and keep my mouth shut. When I says, God, we've got something to share. But it always has come to my attention. And we always see it through the Bible that maybe God knows a little bit more of what we need than we do. Maybe God is a little more tuned into the timing of events than what we are. Maybe God really understands that it's not 
a message because I, I know the message. It's not the methods. I know the methods. I need something more than that. And in fact, I think as maybe as these disciples were reflecting, and they should have been reflecting, they would have also been looking at Ezekiel 36, 26, when, Jesus, when, when, when Ezekiel's talking and God is talking to him, and he says, I will give you a new heart. This is the prophecy. I will give you, I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you. You see, and this is, this is so important. This is so important. As, as critical, as critical as Good Friday and Easter are, as, good, as critical as Jesus' sacrifice is, it can only set us right in our relationship with God. It takes care of that penalty that needs to be paid. Jesus paid the price. He has made me right before him. But he has not yet changed anything inside me. He did an outside work. He made the relationship right. He said, I've opened the gates. You can go to God now. But he still has not changed my heart. And he said, I, what I really want to do is give you a new heart, a new spirit. I've done the work, but there's a greater work, another work that needs to be done in your life. And I can't do it if I'm here, he's telling them. I can't do it if I'm standing next to you because there's no way that I can be with you everywhere you go. There's no way I can be with everybody at all times. But there's work that needs to be done. And guys, I know what you're facing when you go out there. I know when you go out and you start facing the Jews in this city and the, and, and the unbelieving Gentiles and the Romans. I know the trials, the tribulations, and you're not prepared to face it. Yes, I gave my life. Yes, I rose from the dead. But you're not prepared yet to face what you're going to face. And so, go to Jerusalem and wait. Tough tough stuff. But I'm so glad in those last verses of chapter one of, Luke, of Acts that they did just that. It says they went, them, the women, and a bunch of others, the 120, and they went and they gathered and they waited and they waited and they waited and they waited. I guess the UPS man doesn't deliver on Tuesdays. <laughs> I can understand. I can just sit there looking out the window. When's it coming? How's it coming? What is this Holy Spirit? And so that's the backstory. That's the backstory. And we come now to the, to the story itself. And it's in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. A passage you're very familiar with. But it's a passage that's critical in the life of the church. And it says this, when the day of Pentecost came. Now, let me back up a second and explain something here. Because you might say, okay, this is the Pentecost. Well, actually, technically, Pentecost was already on the calendar. They were meeting for Pentecost. Pentecost was the Greek word for the Feast of Weeks. And the Feast of Weeks was a celebration they were already having. The Feast of Weeks would happen 50 days. In fact, Pentecost is the 50th, the 50th, the 50th day after Passover. So the 50th day after Passover, and you remember Christ was killed and rose during that week of Passover. The 50th day after Passover, they would come for the celebration of, of weeks. You can read about it in Leviticus. And they would come and they would celebrate the harvest that God had given them. 
They would celebrate the goodness of God and the mercies of God and the commandments of God too and the giving of the commandments by Moses. But they would come and they would bring some of the barley that had been harvested earlier because the barley season would have been earlier. And so they'd bring some of that barley and they'd present it to the Lord in an offering. And then they would bring just the first fruits because they were just getting into the wheat harvest. And so they would take the first fruits of the wheat and they'd present it. And they said, God, this is, this is the first fruits. This is just the beginning. This is the start of what you're blessing. And we want to present that to you in a sacrifice. And they'd have this big feast. But this, unlike some of the other feasts, this feast was only a one-day feast. Because you don't take a seven-day break in the middle of harvest. Just like you don't take a week of vacation in the middle of tax season. It's just, this is something you do. And so it would be a one-day harvest, a one-day feast, and they would go back and they'd work. But they would present to God that first fruits and say, this is yours. And so they came together and on the day of Pentecost, which would have been 50 days after Easter, that's why this is the seventh week after Easter. This is why we celebrate Pentecost now. Jesus was, we know Jesus was on the earth for 40 days afterwards, it says in the Bible. Pentecost is the 50th day. So it was about 10 days. They waited. They waited. And they waited. And they waited. But when the day of Pentecost finally came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be like tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Take a look at that. This is what I would call a 911 moment. <laughs> if I was there, boy, when I start hearing wind and fire don't really mix. And I got out my cell phone and said, I don't know what's going on, but you better get somebody over here and you better get them over here quick. It says... It was like a wind, it was like fire, but it was even interesting here, it doesn't even say it was a wind and it was a fire, because God was working and God is unexplainable and they couldn't even come up with the words. And Luke says, I don't really know what it was, but it was like a blowing of a wind. It was like tongues of fire. It was something I've never seen before, but God was doing something new. God was doing something powerful. Boy, to make a great movie with, with, the, with, the, with all the effects we have now and all the technology. This would be crazy. We need to be there, but it would be scary because it goes on. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together. Of course, a crowd's gonna gather in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Here are these people speaking in many languages. Wow. Utterly amazed, verse 7. They asked, aren't, these all, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. What a neat 
need occurrence. Take a look at this map. You can see this map here. Everybody, you can see all these areas were covered, north, south, east, and west. Parthia, Elam, Mesopotamia, from area, areas around Iraq and even eastern Africa, Rome, up in Europe, and then Asia, all those areas in Turkey that you see there. People from all over, all dialects, gathered in Jerusalem for this feast and living in Jerusalem were hearing, and they're hearing in their own languages. And so they're marveling. They're saying, this is unbelievable. This is incredible. What's going on here? And that's exactly what this next verse says, verse 12. This is an important verse, important verse, verse 12. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? That was the question of the day. All of this crazy stuff going on, what does this mean? And standing here and sitting here in May 2013, I think we need to ask the same question. What does this mean? It's a cool story. It's an amazing story. But what does it mean? What does it mean for me? What does it mean for you sitting here? What does this story mean? Thankfully, thankfully, we have a sermon from Pastor Peter. Pastor Peter here was someone who just a few weeks before couldn't even stand up to a little girl who said, are you, the sa- are you a friend of Jesus? Yeah, not me. And he says he swore and denied Christ three times. Peter, who always was getting his foot in his mouth and doing things. Peter stands up and says, I got this this whole next episode. I have Tom Cruise and Jack Nicholson going back and forth in my mind. You want to know what it means? You want to know what it means? Yeah, I want to know what it means. (laughs) You want to know what it means? Yeah, I want to know what it means. You can't handle what it means, though. You can't handle what it means. Let me tell you what it means. And he starts into the sermon to tell him what it means. And these aren't all on the screen, but if you've got your Bible, you can follow along here, but the passages will be up, the, the references will be up on the screen. The first thing that I see in Peter's sermon, which he says this means, is this. This power has been part of God's plan all along. This power has been part of God's plan all along. He starts off in verse 16 of chapter 2 of Acts. No, he says, these guys aren't drunk like you're thinking. It's not just, you know, this isn't crazy, crazy time here. He says, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. He says, first of all, understand this. What you're seeing here today was not God's plan B. This was not his, well, they killed Jesus, now what am I gonna do? Let's do this. This was not his response to public opinion. This was not God taking a poll and saying, what do I need to do next? He says, this was, now now that my eyes have been opened, now that I see through God's spirit revealing to me, I see this has been part of God's plan all along. And I look at Joel and I see what he says, and Joel says, God's gonna pour out his spirit. This is it, and we're experiencing it. I think that's the first thing we need to know. We need to know this is God's plan for God to pour out his spirit and for him to pour it out, number two, on everyone. This power is for everyone. Let me read those next verses here. He says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I'll pour out my servants, even my spirit, even on my servants, men and women. Alike. He says, I'll cause all kind of wonders. And then he says in verse 21, but everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
He says, it's for everybody. It's no longer for one certain sect, for one group of people, for one nation. It's no longer for men and not for women. It's no longer for the educated. It's no longer just for the older. Your young boys and your young children, they're going to prophesy. They're going to they're have the spirit of God in them the same way you do, the same way I do. It is now for everybody. So Peter's making his case here. And he says, God promised it long ago, and it's for everybody. And then his third point is, this power is proof that Jesus is Lord and Messiah. What does it mean? This power is proof. And he does start in with a great legal argument. He says, you want proof? I'll give you proof. He said, there are three proofs I can give you right now. And if you read through this, you'll see. He says, you're King David, the one who is, so in, who is, who is held up in such high esteem to you. Look at his words. Look what he prophesied. In verse 29, he says, David, or verse 27, he says, for you, David's, David's saying this, for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You have shown me the way of life and you will fill me with the joy of your presence. And he goes on to say, David wasn't speaking to himself because David is rotting in the grave. <laughs> David's body's still there. He's speaking to somebody else and he's speaking of Jesus Christ. He says, you want another proof? I'll give you another proof. He says in chapter 12, verse 32, God raised Jesus from the dead and we are all witnesses of it. All of us for 40 days, we witnessed it. We saw it. We enjoyed his company. We know it. You need another, you need another proof. That's it. And then he says, you want a third proof? It's today. And the father, as he has promised, gave him gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out on us just as you see and you hear today. Strike three. It was promised. We saw, the, we saw Jesus and the Holy Spirit came as he promised. That was what it means. So that's his argument and he sums it up. And here's his conclusion in his verse 36. He says, so let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. So what does it mean for you and me today? It means that Jesus Christ is Lord. It means that yes, Jesus Christ made the way. And he paved the way. But if you and me wanna live victorious Christian lives, what Jesus did only makes it possible if we have that Holy Spirit. He said, power will come upon you when the Holy Spirit comes. Everybody in that congregation, everybody that there was that day say, okay, what do we do? And he says this in verse 38, and this is up on your screen here. Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You receive it. Repent, be baptized, and receive. That happens. This promise is for you. It's for your children and even the Gentiles. All who have called on the name of or have called on the Lord our God. This morning, I believe God knows in my life when, where, how, why. I mean, I believe God knows so much more than I do. And as long as I'm trying to do 
on my own strength. As long as I'm trying to figure it out in my own mind, as long as I'm trying to use my own methods, it falls far, 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 far short of what God wants for me. It's when I call on him and say, I want your spirit. I want your spirit. And it says he gives it. He gives us. It says in chapter two of Luke, they were filled, or of Acts, they were filled with the spirit. We can do that. We can be filled for what God wants us to do. Um, one of my great uh, books that I've read recently is a book called Unknown God by Francis Chan. And he says, you know, we've, we've neglected so much the power of the Holy Spirit. We've worked on all our methods. We've worked on all our preaching styles. We've worked on everything else. But we haven't called on the Spirit of God. And Francis says this, talking about God. He is infinite, and we are finite. There will always be more of his character to discover, more of his love to experience, and more of his power to use for his purposes. I want God to fill me. And yeah, he did that. He filled me when I became a Christian. But he's infinite, and there's always more and more of him. It was explained to me once, it's kind of like a balloon. We're filled with the Spirit. We're filled with the Spirit. There's nothing in this balloon but His Spirit. Nothing but, but His Spirit, but my, my breath. Nothing in here but my breath. It's filled. But God has a way of expanding our vessels. God has a way of letting us take on more. God has a way of blowing our minds at what He can do if we just want a little more of His character. A little more of his love. A little more of his power. God, I want more and more of you. I know, God, it'd be great to ask for all of you, but there's no way. I can't even describe tongues of fire and wind, but I want more. I want more character. I want more love. I want more power. The good thing is God can keep Phyllis and Phyllis and we won't burst. God will never give us more than we can handle. God loves us and he wants us to come to him and say, quit doing it on your own. Quit doing it for your own glory. You know, Romans 12 says that, uh, Romans 8 says, when the spirit speaks, he speaks of Jesus. The honor and glory goes to Jesus, not ourselves. But we still need more of his character, more of his power, more of his love. I hope that's your prayer this morning, to surrender yourselves. Lord, yes, I've, I've got your spirit, but I need more. I need more, just like that, just like what happened. I don't need the fire and stuff. That'd be cool. But that's not what it's about. If you're looking at the fire and you're looking at the tongues and you're looking at the wind, you're missing the line that says they were filled with the Spirit. Lord, send your Spirit on us. As we continue in worship, feel free to stand. Feel free to sit. As we sing, 
asking the Spirit to rain down upon us this morning. Let it rain. And let it rain. Sing with me. Let it rain. Open the floodgates of heaven. Let it rain. Let it rain. Open the floodgates of heaven. Come on, church. Let it rain. Rain down. Let it rain. Open the floodgates of heaven. Let it rain. Let it rain. Open the floodgates of heaven. We feel the rain of your love and the wind of your spirit. Now the heartbeat of heaven, let us hear. We feel the rain of your love and the wind of your spirit. Now the heartbeat of heaven, let us hear. Let it rain, let it rain. Let it break. Open the floodgates of heaven. Let it break. Let it break. Open the floodgates of heaven. You know, I think, uh, no, I know I've probably preached more to myself this morning than I have to any of you. It's my desire that um, every day constantly be filled more and more with that power that we see in Acts to bring honor and glory to Him. I hope that's your prayer. Let's pray. Lord, I just ask that you would come into each heart right now. And Lord, that um, the needs that we have, the desires we have, You would just fill our lives, our hearts with your spirit in powerful and new and fresh ways this week. Lord, Lord, I love every person here this morning. I just pray your best upon them. Lord, I desire that they know you in the same way. And that you work through their lives and they open themselves to you. And that you receive the honor and praise in Jesus' precious name. Amen.